Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Sally Rogers from A Man Called Adam, and you're listening to the House Culture Podcast. House Culture Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of the House Culture Podcast. I'm your host and managing editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse. As always, thanks for joining us, downloading, streaming, however it is you listen to your podcasts. And for those who are listening for the first time and don't know who we are, what we stand for, we at House Culture are a group, a gang, a collective of house music fans who have come together through their mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. You can follow us day to day on our Instagram feed at housecultureNet. But what we do with this podcast is sit down with some of the most iconic characters from the scene for a candid chat to discover how they fell in love with the music and how it shaped their life. In this episode, we chat with Sally Rogers, one half of a man called Adam and the first lady of Balearic House. As you're hearing this podcast, Sally and her musical partner Steve Jones have been there since the very beginning of the dance music explosion on Ibiza. It was this crazy circus of naked Rastafarians and old men with white suits and beards and amazing ambient music with sunsets over the Mediterranean. We learn about the creation of that most beautiful A Man Called Adam track, one that is so intrinsically linked with the White Isle. Barefoot in the head is our crack, that, that sort of Chicago sound, our sort of attempt at, at making a, a house record that sounded like the records that we loved and we were enjoying. We chat about Sally's love of getting behind the decks. You're playing music for your friends and you're making friends with the music you're playing. You're making new friends with it. So it's a real reciprocal situation and that's, that's my favourite thing. And we also hear her describe why this type of music is so important to us all. Because it's full of love and it's full of open-spirited generosity and tolerance. So, as they say in Barefoot in the Head, put a seashell to your ear and let it all come back. As for the next hour or so, we're in conversation with Sally Rogers. 
House Culture. I'm sat here with Sally Rogers from A Man Called Adam in a flat in East London, surrounded by some of the most obscure vinyl I've ever seen. And uh, we're going to have a chat ahead of our gig to this evening at the uh, Century Club in central London, uh, bringing obviously the Balearic spirit over to the capital. So thanks for your time, Sally. It's uh, No problem, Matt. Thanks for, thanks for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, so really what we want to do is just start at the beginning for you in terms of music. Uh, how old were you? When, when you first discovered music and it really kind of had an impact on you? Oh, gosh. Um, my, my parents ran working men's clubs in the northeast. It was also a bit Irish. My dad's family, my dad's parents were sort of first generation, second generation Irish. So, so it was a lot of singing and a lot of... Uh, all of my relatives basically had a signature song you know my uncle Mick it would be Ruby or Kenny Rogers or my dad was was a a Dean Martin or um, King of the Road was one of my dad's favorite tracks there is it Roger Miller Uh, so even as a, a little baby me and my sister used to come in and do songs from the sort of Hollywood musicals and things for for to entertain my parents when we were I don't know, you know, five or six years old. So, so yeah, music's always been there. My elder brother and my sister were both, well, my elder brother particularly was a sort of vinyl collector. And he had amazing tastes. You know, he loved the Beatles and we had every Beatles record that was ever made and all of the solo albums and everything that went from there, all of the obscure studio outtakes <laughs> and same with the Beach Boys he had all those box sets of all of that but he was also a huge reggae fan you know which was in, in quite early doors for that really in the kind of 70s um so the house was full of reggae amazing always yeah um and and I I, I acquired some of that vinyl recently and it, it I was gifted some of that vinyl recently and yeah there's some amazing things there obviously when I was little I, I liked Oh, I don't know the obvious ones, the Israelites or, mm. or the little Desmond Decker kind of jolly little pop things, yeah. the the Rocksteady. But on in the collection, there's there's these the ones I tend towards are these things called disco forty fives, yeah. where the reggae artists have kind of appropriated the disco format, yeah. if you like, the twelve inch uh, disco format. Um, but yeah, so there was that. My sister was a punk, so there was all stiff little fingers and the clash and all of that was in the house. It's a real melting pot. Yeah, before that, she was kind of a bit of a disco dolly. I was a mod. Um, so so there hasn't really been, I can't really remember a time when music wasn't important in my life. Yeah. We, we, we weren't a household that you'd call musical in the sense that we were playing <clears throat> music, musicians, but... We're all singers and writers, I think, actually, or performers in some ways. You know, we write, yeah. that's what we do. Yeah. Uh, but there's a singing tradition Yeah. in that uh, ethnicity, if you want to call it. Okay. That, yeah, that sort of third, fourth generation Irish, it's still there. So growing up, was it always the aim to do something with music or were you in bands before uh, I was, I, I, I always, when I was little, I wanted to be a vet and I wanted to be an airline pilot and I wanted to be, yeah, all sorts of uh, things that take a lot of uh, years and years of education to achieve. And then when I got to 15, I didn't want to go to school anymore. So, <laughs> so the arts sort of, um, I, I, I was always good at English. I liked to write and 
Then I started playing in a few bands. I was sort of singing in a few bands. Um, and then I moved to London. I was I was here when I was 17. So, yeah. wow. so I went sort of straight into bands and singing backing vocals for this band and that band. It was it was kind of Pepsi and Shirley and the girls who were the backing singers in the Human League, that kind of thing. Okay, so yeah, everybody yeah. wanted a, a backing singer, a little Dolly Dolly backing singer. So so I did quite a bit of that. And then I answered an ad in a in the Melody Maker, um, producer seeks vocalist. I. I I answered quite a few of those, but there was one guy and we formed a band called the Expresso 7 and we signed to CBS. So that was my, I was 18. Wow. So so that was my first. Your first exposure to. Proper band, proper recording studios, proper recording. And I was pretty hooked on it after that. I I don't think I'd wanted to be a singer. It's it's pretty brutal, that uh, working men's club world. Yeah. Uh, Some of those singers that, sing in those places are are hugely talented and and kind of resilient and i i, I didn't thick have skinned. that yeah thick skinned I, I i didn't have that at all i was a bit you know yeah. art school dropout really <laughs> so um obviously so you had a bit of a taste of the the official music industry with cbs um with was it expresso seven <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. are you uh what kind of music was that? Was that something that... Um... It, was, it was Latin jazz, really. Okay. Latin jazz pop. Yeah. It was kind of the mid-80s, 85, 86, 87. Yeah. So it was sort of, yeah, Latin jazz pop. It was all very kind of Blue Rondo a la Turk and all of those yeah. people had kind of been before and it was on the kind of tail end of all that. Sade, it was... Of course. It was, it was that world. Yeah. Um, that, that was the Expresso 7 and then that band split up I split up with that guy and we uh then you get like a period to demo for the label so they can decide whether they want to carry on with the contract um so I auditioned some musicians including Steve and we formed a man called Adam and then that was uh, we didn't get picked up by CBS <laughs> didn't, didn't happen we did one recording for them um, and then after that we were a man called Adam and then yeah. it was sort of onto Giles's label onto yeah. Acid Jazz and yeah. all of that sort of stuff so yeah you obviously signed to Acid Jazz and Giles Peterson and um, uh, it was obviously Acid Jazz music we were still doing that sort of acoustic Latin jazz mm-hmm. re- real musicians real musicianship horn sections percussionists the lineup for a man called Adam when we played live which we did quite regularly for Giles, uh, was like 10, 10 people wow. on stage. So that's how we recorded the first the first recordings with a friend of ours, Matt Clark, in his little... He, he ran the Westminster Basement Youth Club uh, recording facility. <laughs> and we used to do it in the middle of the night, uh, you know, midnight till 5am or 6am. Um, and the, we recorded those first records like that as as sort of acoustic latin jazz Mm. but then matt brought a sampler an akai sampler into the studio and we started messing about with drum machines and using them as sequencers and sample what what year was that was that 87 88 i think 88 probably um and so the the music became we took the source material that we had, all the amazing musicianship and all the players and everything, and then we started to kind of electronically uh, cut it up, you know, abstract 
it we, and then we went to raves and understood that language was something that te- it was kind of technology led really yeah, that yeah. there was a new musical language that was coming out of chicago and detroit and all of those places and we i suppose we were excited by that intense creativity as as everybody was yeah i guess yeah that was, was acid house yeah a completely <laughs> new thing and yeah. this new technology that was making yeah. sounds not necessarily being used maybe for the things that they were meant no to use totally totally sort of mis misappropriated uh, uh, technologies yeah things yeah we were using drum machines to trigger piano sequences and uh, yeah looping yourself repeating phrases and and yeah. and and, and there's a kind of um, uh, a process of abstraction, so things get more and more stripped back, and 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 you're looking for those something like one of our tracks. We had in a track a track a B side called Amoeba, yeah, and it was the A side was a Spanish disco track called Musica de Amor, yeah, it's Latin jazzy disco sort of something. Um, but by the time it became Amoeba, and believe it or not, they're the same record <laughs> just one in various degrees of abstraction um the the key little phrase that came out of the lyric was no happy faces and of course acid house was all about happy faces so it just it, it was like a distillation yeah. of a whole lyric down to a tiny phrase yeah. and there was something really exciting creatively about that so. and did you see that kind of uh, once you created those b-sides did you see them in a club environment and reaction to yeah, that yeah absolutely so um people like harvey actually harvey and chucky with their tonka sound system they they loved um techno powers which was the b-side of earthly powers yeah which was a kind of lonnie liston smith style jazz funk yeah. workout kind of thing but then techno powers was this machine version of it and and they loved it. The guys at sort of Center Force Radio, the pirate radio yeah. stations, loved that record. And then you start to see it out. And we, we we did lots of PAs and lots of performances around those records in places like Solaris or yeah. big big raves in fields in the middle of Cambridgeshire or whatever. <laughs> so so yeah, no, it it was it was definitely a step away from that kind of acoustic Latin jazz scene. Yeah. Yeah, and and Giles went off to do Talking Loud and do his thing. We we we've talked about that recently. Me and Giles, we've sort of hooked up again after years and years and years. Uh, so we talk about that stuff. It's funny. Yeah, I was, I was like you say, it kind of went two different ways. Um, so for for you guys, were you seeing how these kind of more electronic led music was kind of performing, and you were like, okay, well, this is the route for us to go down. Honestly, there was no strategizing going on then. We were very young. We just went where it was creative and fun and exciting for us to go. I don't think we thought about this is the right career move for us or this is the, the, it. It just and and we still do that. Really, it's sort just of what inst- instin- instinctively what excites you and and what stimulates you. And you yeah. wouldn't I'm not saying I don't strategize a bit about other things, but. When it comes to the music, that that takes you. You don't take it. And so, 
that had kind of happened my first exposure to a man called adam was the the uh, the short film about chilling um the 1990 documentary it went out on channel four um i mean i was only 10 but i do <laughs> i do remember se- I do, yeah, sorry i do <laughs> i do remember seeing that and i you know um, 808 State were on it and I was a big 808 State fan and uh, you know I'd been to Ibiza before but with my parents on like a family holiday obviously um, so it was kind of strange to see this these ama- these people that I really respected as musicians living this life in this island that I'd been to and um, you know uh, do you want to just talk about how did that come about that, you being featured that was, on that documentary? Uh, yeah I think we'd um, we'd recorded Barefoot in the Head and we'd put it on a white label, and there was label interest in it. We, a bidding war would be overstating it somewhat, but there were people interested in signing the band, uh, and we had management and that kind of thing. So eventually we, we decided we were going to sign with Big Life Records, and our manager, Lisa, uh, went to them and said, there's this thing happening in Ibiza. We'd played for the Flying Guys and Charlie Chester and all that before the records. And Barefoot in the Head was kind of bubbling on that scene, so it made sense. And Lisa knew that. She Mm -hmm. was smart enough to know that. And she was like, they really ought to go. Angus and Kevin Sampson and Angus Cameron were making a movie out there. The the Happy Mondays were going to be there. The farm were going to be there. Andrew and Danny and everybody big DJs and we ought to be there because we've got one of those records that's hot on the scene if you like Um, so they grumbled about it and I think they gave us 500 quid towards (laughs) going Uh, and and so we ended up on this thing not really having any idea what to expect at all we'd never been to Ibiza and the film apparently talking to Kevin and, and Angus there is a director's cut and and Channel 4 or there was a director's cut. Channel 4 made them cut quite a lot out, quite quite frank conversations about drugs and mm. things, um, which is such a shame because now it would be fine and it would be amazing yeah. um, to hear Andrew talking about ecstasy <laughs> or something. It would be just, just amazing. Um, but at the time, Channel 4, they brought it back. Channel 4 were like what the hell is this they cut it cut it cut it endlessly but it still went out and it's just one of those things where sometimes you're in the right place at the right time like I say it was Lisa's instinct was good on that and and it's weird how it resonates with people. I, I get people talk to me about that film once a week at least. Sorry, <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. We we're we're always grateful for to have been part of anybody's journey. Really, mm. I, I don't. Yeah, you know, maybe. Yeah. Ask me if it's all people ever talk about for the rest of my life. <laughs> Then maybe ask me when I'm ninety and let's see if I'm still still uh, to- high tolerance of yeah, it. But uh, yeah. but no, it it had huge sort of ratings at the time. I think it was the biggest ever youth television broadcast that certainly that channel had ever had. But I think generally, yeah. yeah. Um, and then they kept repeating it, and then but I've, I've people have sent me photographs of their like battered VHS copy of it with the sort of hand-drawn sleeve Amazing. on it and it's it was important to young people I think yeah. and why beautiful scenery people 
having fun. Actually, the quality of the music was all pretty great. The soundtrack on it is incredible. Yeah. The selection. Yeah. Um, so, so that combination of those those things. Um, yeah. If you wanted to get really analytical, it was sort of the fag end of Thatcher's time in office, and there was a kind of underclass that wasn't represented by well that's kind of what acid house was wasn't it absolutely um there was a political aspect to it i suppose what preceded that was that sort of chardé and the and the kind of wine bar and the and the and the yuppies yeah. and the sort of city wankers kind of thing yeah. and and acid house represented something else and so that this was a a sort of acid house utopia maybe yeah that people could see on the screen and the film i suppose came out before the legislation the justice bill yeah, and all, all of that, that. Yeah. yeah i think so i think was it 92 the justice right was? yes yeah. then in then yes it was 1990 wasn't it yeah it'd be the 90 and and those venues and the and and from a personal point of view it was just to sort of crazy mad fun Brilliant. crazy mad fun as it should be yeah everybody was just mad and that we saw things we'd never seen and yeah we, we, so you'd never been to ibiza before no that. and and the, there's a sort of cliche about it but it really was it was it was as if you'd gone to studio 54 or something like that it was it was this crazy circus of naked rastafarians and old men with white suits and beards and models in chanel dancing on it, it was things you just hadn't experienced amazing ambient music with with sunsets over the mediterranean and uh, most of us were just young working class people who hadn't really ever lived that before so it was crazy completely mad. cosmopolitan european yeah, lifestyle yeah it was, i remember turning up at the coup uh, club which became privilege mm-hmm. um, and it was like Bridget Nielsen was there do you remember and she, yeah. she was about seven foot tall she was like an Amazonian woman just the glamour was sort of radiating off her and I think she was with Nils Lofgren or someone or she was dating somebody really famous and it was all the sort of MTV cameras paparazzi all, all of that kind of thing and I just know we'd never seen anything like that I'm not saying that was the focus of the holiday it was just things like that yeah we'd never that was like a scene before. that was happening that... yeah just that mix of of people that you got there yeah it was exciting it was fun and how often have you do you go back to Ibiza now well because of Barefoot in the Head and yeah. because of the Café Del Mar albums we we were there pretty much every summer yeah. during the 90s and maybe the early noughties as well. We were backwards and forwards quite a lot. But then we had a sort of hiatus from it. And I've I've, I've been again every year for maybe the last three years. Um, two of my best girlfriends live on the island and lots of my friends live there. And lots of my friends are there in the summer. And uh, so I, I go and do a little sort of poolside warm-up for Harvey and I do a set at La Torre. Basically, you sort of sing for your supper. You play records for a chip supper somewhere. <laughs> um, and I see my girlfriends and I have a nice time. I don't I don't really get too involved in the, the club scene. Yeah. I do the little things I like to do. Yeah. Harvey at Pikes is what else could be better really uh and 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 a sunset at the torre always nice to play records with the sun going down yeah and uh, would you say between then and now what has been the major differences it, like somewhere like the torre might not have existed no i previously. think i think they i think javier and and 
and the guys co- sort of conceived Le Torre to go back to that slightly more esoteric sound and, and because Café Mambo and Café Del Mar now are on the kind of main strip and yeah. I mean Café Del Mar still has a sort of chilled vibe but Mambo is very much the kind of pre-party warm up it's pretty banging in <laughs> it's quite a good laugh yeah. but it's pretty banging um so so yeah I think they thought of La Torre as some antidote to that um but there's always lovely beaches where you can hear nice music and things in Ibiza I think oh you you, you interviewed John Satrinchard didn't you yes yeah yeah, there's Andy Wilson and all those guys. They all play lovely music. There's lovely music to be heard. I love the radio in Ibiza. There's sort of Ibiza Sonica and then there's another one. And there's a couple of like franchised European ones. And you just dial through when you're in the car and there's always some lovely electronic music to listen yeah. to. So. Yeah. Um, I still enjoy it. But sorry, what was the question? It was how has it changed? How has it changed? But- how has it changed? Um or, or maybe it hasn't checked. Maybe it's beginning to shift back, like you say, like somewhere like La Torre to kind of recapture that Pro- spirit. Probably not, because because I did go to Pasha a couple of years ago, and I, it was Masters at Work and <coughs> Dimitri from Paris. So you know, wow, that's going to be ace. Uh, we went in early with a friend of ours who was warming up, uh, so we saw the whole place coming together. They had a, a sort of neon Eiffel Tower and it, and it was in the booth and there was like eight CDJs all set up for Masters at Work and it was all like, oh yeah, this is going to be really exciting. And then they just, personally, I think they put too many people in the place. I'm not sure what the capacity is, but it was heaving and it was oppressive and you could moving from one place to another, there was no room actually to dance. You were, you were packed like sardines. And I just thought, my instinct told me that there was kind of greed at the bottom of this. Well, you know, a thousand people less and everybody would have had a better time. Yeah. But sort of having a good time. Supply and demand, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, they're seasonal. I guess they've all got to make their money in that in that season. But The bad side of dance music capitalism. Yeah, it's not for me. I don't, I don't want to be in it. There's plenty of places you can go and listen to lovely music, have a dance, and not have to suffer that. That's what Ibiza offers so much more. It's kind of always like people I speak to who have never been to Ibiza always think it's just about the superclubs. It's like when you go to Glastonbury, people think it's just about the main stage. It's it's not. It's, no. you know, there's so much more to see. No, and, and that's it. And and I think Harvey's residency at Pikes has done something wonderful as well in the last few years because it's just made them program really cool interesting things at that venue particularly but La Torre is always sort of the the go-to place for for the visiting DJs from that scene and and you'll hear some lovely music there as well and there's great labels there's great there's there's a place for music that is not thumping dance floor bangers yeah there's a place for all that other music. Yeah, and it's, the Balearic music. <laughs> yes, I, I've been avoiding. Did, did you notice that? I was I'm avoiding that word? I don't. Yeah, but that's. I guess that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we've talked about La Torre. Um, is that your favourite place to play on the island? Would you say? Um, yeah, I guess, I guess so. And again, I, I like the poolside gig at at Pikes. Just they're just places where you can be with your friends everybody's having a nice experience you're playing music sort of for your friends and you're sort of making friends with the music you're playing 
you're making new friends with it. Um, so it's a real reciprocal situation and that's that's my favorite thing really djing is all about uh well i think so cool um we talked you mentioned barefoot in the head how did you come to to write that it was before you'd been to ibiza that you wrote and recorded that yeah when you hear it now it's it's become so intrinsic with with that island i can't separate the two but to think that there was a time that that track was created yes, before yeah, it even it was, made it, it to Ibiza. It was, again, like I say, but they they had been, I think, Charlie and Andrew and those guys, that flying crew and, yeah. the, and the boys' own and all of that. It was pretty Balearic and they'd picked up that record. They, they'd kind of assimilated that record into their canon, if you like, and... Um, one of the records you asked was a sort of catalyst and we'll talk about those later on was uh, Frankie Knuckles' Tears and really in a way Barefoot in the Head is our kind of crack at that that sort of Chicago sound if you like obviously it doesn't sound like a Chicago record because it's you know two art school dropouts in a flat in Camden it's not uh, but it really was our our sort of attempt at, at making a house record that sounded like the records that we loved and we were enjoying and also the lyric is is about the drug really frankly <laughs> all the best ones are oh, I, yeah I, I love a good metaphor let's say it's it's a, um, yeah I use the drug as a metaphor for uh, a love song or a, or a yeah about freedom of spirit and all of those things that were pretty zeitgeist at the time and that and that association you make it with Ibiza is is a direct result of that film the two things if if, if the film didn't exist the association with Ibiza for barefoot in the head would also not exist so so that's why I'm never uh, pissed off about talking about these things because they're, they're an amazing example of sort of synchronicity, really. And actually Acid House and the emancipating effects of ecstasy and all of that stuff was about synchronicity. So we managed to sling some of it down onto a, a recording, a sound recording, and get a little tiny bit of that feeling onto a record. I'll always be happy and grateful and never get tired of that. Do you uh, do you have the temptation to drop it in any of your DJ sets? Never, <laughs> never, never. We've never been able People to do that. It. I, I remember going to we we went to Kenny and Luke Solomon used Kenny Hawks and Luke Solomon used to have a brilliant club called Space in the nineties, and that was when they started bringing all the American house DJs and Derek Carter and you know they just they introduced us all to that amazing kind of jacking jacking house. Um, and I think Steve Silk Hurley played and he played all his own mixes <laughs> and he ha- even had like uh, eye dents that went Steve, Steve, Silk Hurley, Hurley, Hurley. <laughs> we were always a bit like, why can't we do that? Oh, man, a man, a man, call that. Yeah, we, we ought to have done that. But no, it's not. It's not in our instincts, really. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So to to go into more current things, um, we're talking earlier, you you have released a new album, you and Steve, this year. We have. Farmarama. Yes. It's uh, it's fantastic. I love it. It really harks back to your previous two albums. It's been a... You've been on hiatus. Uh, it's been a while. Why did the time kind of feel right now? That's a, it, it's a weird one, isn't it? Again, that's it's a kind of instinctive thing. Um, I don't want to get too heavy about it. Steve and I went off and we've been studying and we also did a lot of sound design and experimental work. I think I think we just got... We wanted to push ourselves out of the, the songwriting mode and... and extend our our craft a bit if you like and our capabilities and understand a bit better about where we fit in the great scheme of the continuum of electronic music what's it all about learn about the history and the context but the thing about so we have made lots of music and sound works they call them (laughs) but there's something about if you if you put the name a man called out i think we put something out on itunes maybe five or six years ago and it was a thing called cold genius and it was all this sort of spectral freezing of pianos based around a bit of henry purcell's opera (laughs) like a couple of chords from henry purcell and then we'd done all this like weird experimental freezing and my voice was all and uh, and we stuck it up on iTunes as a man called Adam, and there was some review that said, you know, what the hell is this? <laughs> so it's like, okay, you can't release things as a man called Adam. There's a, I suppose what I'm saying is there's a certain expectation with it. So we just weren't in that place to write. There's there's an expectation, and with certain songs that have been, of course, you don't want to spend your life trying to conform to people's expectations of what you're going to do so it has to be right when you do it one of the things is with a man called adam's music it's quite emotional you have to dig quite deep although it's fairly abstracted on the surface i hope that you're not sort of blurting out your own issues so much it's it's meant to be kind of universal but in order to get to that universal place, you have to dig pretty deep in your own emotional life. 
And I think we just didn't want to do that. There's something slightly slightly more um, intellectual and thoughtful about experimental sound design. <laughs> uh, whereas writing music that's emotionally engaging is more demanding emotionally. Yeah. So we'd, we'd sort of maybe just weren't ready to do that. And then one day we were. And then one day you were. And then one day you were. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, it's as simple as that, really. I don't know how... I, I mean, I suppose there was a process with it. Steve was busy doing his PhD research and I was a bit itchy to get on and try and do... I think because I've been DJing a lot and just try to, to make some new music. So we'd get together, because he lives in Paris most mm-hmm. of the time, and we'd get together and we'd throw a load of ideas, musical ideas down, and then he would go away... And I would just tinker with the tracks and tinker with the lyric and and do a lot of, sort of evolve them. And then the process would start again. And so yeah. it, it evolved. And then we introduced our friend Paul, um, who's, who's sort of quite jazzy and riffy and, and hooky. And, and uh, he plays bass, so he's got a bass line sensibility. And then when you kind of throw all the bits together, that's... That, it all came together. Yeah, Farmerama is the resulting album. Yeah. You did some good uh, work, put out a Record Store Day remix yeah, package. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. well, Prince Thomas did the remix on that. And yeah, we were, we were thrilled with his remix, really. He's a great, he's a great artist. He's very generous. He's very... I, I asked if he would do it and he said, send me the stems for this track, this track, this track and this track. So we actually had no idea which track he was going to remix which I, I love that um Dungan uh versions album he did Haxan versions uh it's here somewhere <laughs> among all these obscure records uh and they've got that slightly sort of kraut rocky motoric feel about them some of them are, one one of the 12s is ambient the other one's a bit more can like if you like and I just loved that asked him to do it he took the stems and then one day he just sent back the Paul Valerie mix and it it's a real journey mix. It was so lovely for us because he you you're all over it. It's not one of those remixes where he's just sort of got rid of you and 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 done his own thing. Um it it was like working with an artist who kind of gets you but also is confident and and masterful in his own way. So so when it came it was like yes. Steve had a little cry. Oh. <laughs> he hates me telling everybody that. I'm like, yeah, Steve had a little cry. We, we're not going to chop that bit out. No, don't, 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 don't. <laughs> he, he's got to suffer it. Men are allowed to cry. It's fine. We are. Um, he, um, but then later on he said, <laughs> he sort of qualified it a bit, he spoiled it a bit by saying, it was the way he made my iPad sing out. <laughs> I might have to chop that bit out. No, no, it's, it's like only Steve. That's that's a sentence you will never hear anyone else say ever in your whole life. Only Steve could say that. It was the way he made my iPad sing out. So that obviously went out for Record Store Day. You know, it's a massive thing supporting vinyl and independent record shops and whatever. Um, and you, you've kind of become a DJ in your own right. Recent is that? A, yeah, is that a recent thing? Well, I suppose it is. How? Me in my own right. We Steve and I always DJed together. At one point, we were proper every weekend, always DJing DJs. 
Um, but we always DJ together, so it might, might be me for an hour or him for an hour, or we do I do half an hour and then he do. It was kind of like a, a a DJ. So we always enjoyed selecting records and all of that sort of thing. But I'd never had that experience where you sort of take the room on a journey yourself with your. And it's quite a selfish thing, really. It's quite nice to to. These are my selections, and I'm I'm going to do it. And I, I I started again a couple of years ago, and I'm surprised by how much I love it. Actually, I I really love it. It might be it might be good because of all that study and things. I think you bring that slightly contextualizing approach, which is what academic life is. It's all about finding the context mm -hmm. for what you're doing or what anyone's doing. Um, so now I love I love to link music together in a kind of joining the dots sort of way and, and rediscovering things. Yeah, and... yeah, absolutely. That you know I love digging for for the Balearic gold. <laughs> it's out there. It's, it's out, out there. there. It's always out there. It's always out there. Um, so they're probably two different beasts completely. I mean, we we're talking before about. Um, you guys playing live as a man called Adam and touring and shorter gigs and things. And maybe a, a, a DJ set gives you that opportunity to take people on a journey, whereas a gig might just be, you've just got to smash the album out. Yeah, I, I, we, we're trying to find the way with live because, because we do pay a lot of attention to the detail of one, the records that we release, the actual recordings and the production of the records but also the we have amazing designers and all we like to pay attention to the detail of everything really and so we're performing live now and we just want to get that show to the same level of integrity i suppose um that that we we hope we're applying to the other areas of of, of your work um and yeah it it that at the moment you you get booked to play for an hour but i feel that there's a longer there's there's a combination of the dj plus the live thing that we need to explore a little bit and we will there's a three-hour farmerama funk there's a jazz funk there fusion is workout. yeah exactly there's a three-hour farmerama <laughs> funk fusion workout coming you soon yeah coming soon <laughs> okay I mean, and you guys run uh other records yes as a label, um, yes. you know, you've worked with Chris Coco, Jose Padilla, all, yeah, the, all those kind of legends from that genre. Are you looking to potentially kind of ramp that up again? And it's a funny one. We, we now that you're a DJ, um, I'm not sure we're going to be signing other people's music. Certainly, commissioning remixes and interesting versions of things, definitely. Uh, at the moment, I don't have any plans to be signing other artists music there's too much to do i suppose people always say this is our third studio album we did actually make one in the early noughties that wasn't released so it's, this would have been our fourth studio album but that's not a lot of records in 20 30 years or whatever <laughs> <laughs> so we're in a bit of a more prolific sort of mode and we're for example we're we're sort of halfway into a new ep for the autumn which will be at least three brand new tracks, if not more, 
that yes. aren't on Farmerama. So we don't. I just don't want to stop. I don't want to be thinking about other people. Sorry, it's a bit sounds a bit selfish, doesn't it? I don't want to be thinking about other people's music, except in the context of how they might um, enhance the catalogue that we're releasing of A Man Called Adam at the moment. Yeah. So so cool versions, cool remixes. Um, we've got a brilliant remix for the next twelve. Can you tell us? Uh, yeah, it's it's a guy called DJ Alexander. Uh, he's a really young guy, 17, 18, I think he is. And he's uh, it's just a, a, a really fluid little deep house sort of workout. He, he had a track called Yamaha uh, recently, which I was just playing. I was DJing a lot. And it's so simple. I keep saying he's kind of like floating points without the maths. It's got that really sort of fresh. It's just really fresh and his sounds are really fresh and simple. There's probably only like five things in the whole track. Um, but he's done a remix of Higher Powers that we really like. Great. I can't uh, wait to hear Yeah, it. Yeah. Awesome. So we've got one more 12 coming and then hopefully a new EP. Great. And then more after that, I suppose. And more after that, yeah. Period of creativity. Might yeah, well we just, just want to keep, keep on it, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we'll be... I think we'll be gigging a lot more, but I was reading, uh, 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 we had a, a girl called Hannah Van Santa came into the college where I teach, uh, and she was Rihanna's keyboard player. And she was telling all the students, all the students were absolutely mesmerized because she works with Riri. She calls her Riri. Um, and um, they have a, a studio bus. So Rihanna does her shows. She sleeps most of the day. She get, turns up her shows. She does her shows. And then they go into the studio bus. And she'll work on recordings till like 3 or 4 a.m. Then go to her hotel and then sleep. And I, I thought, okay, well, we can't afford a studio bus. But maybe we have to get into the rhythm of working in hotel rooms and writing and, and just doing that stuff if, we, if we're going to be... Drawing inspiration from your location. Yeah, Things we, yeah we've got, different. you know, doing field recordings and all of that yeah. sort of cool stuff. Yeah, I hope that we can just keep up the, the work rate Yeah, once we're, even if we're out gigging a lot. You mentioned you're a lecturer at um, the Leeds College of Music. So um, what, do you, what do you think the pressures are about younger artists coming through? I think it's not even about being an artist. I think if you're an artist... And especially the students at Leeds College of Music, they're lucky in lots of ways because they have an outlet for their emotional life. Um, I think the world is incredibly challenging for young people at the moment. I think the complexities of the interaction and media interaction with the world, uh, the, the climate crisis and the political... It, it's really tough for young people and I think at least the ones who are allowed to and encouraged to make music or express themselves in some creative way are are winning really because yeah. the ones who aren't have just got this shit show to deal with sorry that is the world yeah yeah, yeah. well i mean well let's, let's try and inspire some of our <laughs> podcast listeners <laughs> yeah sorry that was a bit no, gloomy don't worry, don't worry. that was a bit gloomy wasn't it but no i mean i i i love uh that's the thing about teaching it's just really nice to spend time with young people I, I i get as much from them as they get from me i if not more just just to know how 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 they're thinking and feeling and engaging it gives you a different world. window on the world yeah and and it reminds you 
of how obviously as you get older you get sort of jaded or or you don't appreciate the opportunities that life presents to you and these young people you know they'll do anything to have their music heard they'll they'll they don't care about the money they don't care about that they don't, they don't care if it's two people and a dog as in the audience as long as somebody's listening to what they have to say and and then you think about your life and all the amazing opportunities you have to yeah. to be heard and it makes you appreciate and value that so that's what they give to me which is pretty precious really amazing let's get onto the playlist then oh god right okay um we've kind of already mentioned it so uh, obviously these are the the five tracks that we ask every interviewee to kind of choose uh, choosing one is always difficult for a certain theme, I understand. Um, but in terms of the catalyst, that first track that got you into dance music, you've already mentioned uh, Frankie Knuckles' Tears. Well, Tears, I suppose, was an acid house sort of amazing acid house anthem, but but it also was very emotional and poignant and... And it seemed to to sort of sum up a very particular moment in time. So so it, it it was a very powerful record. You can have this machine music, but the voice and the lyric. It is Robert Owens. Yeah. yeah. Um, come and 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 sort of elevate that to to something sort of deeply resonant emotionally. It's it's a gospel tradition isn't it uh, that's there in it and so that was a very powerful record I do remember hearing um Sylvester's Mighty Reel for the first time when I was just a little girl I don't know when that was when my sister brought it into the house and it was like a seven inch and and I remember just twirling around in my nighty, you know like a little bry nylon nighty, <laughs> and just going round and round and round the living room and not never really and that you know disco sequence um so so maybe an earlier catalyst yeah you might call that, that high one. energy yeah and the whole kind of tears track as well like you said it was i suppose at that time the music that was coming out was very industrial machine made but it kind mm. of gave it a bit more of a soul yeah soulful edge. i mean i mean as a teenager you know luther vandross alexander o'neill all yeah. of those singers were were so I'm, I'm i'm from the northeast it's northern it's it's soul music so i've always loved gospel voices you know i, lo- I love to hear great singing yeah. um, um emotional so tears was one of those and i guess mighty real as well with that amazing falsetto oh, yeah, Bonkers my goodness. Falsetto. yeah, that yeah. Crazy voice. but but it's just that <clears throat> core of emotion yeah it's in them you can really feel him yeah. shouting yeah. that out yeah. yeah 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 it's it's touching you in yeah. in the deepest places um uh so we're talking about um the floor filler what is your go-to floor filler oh as a dj i find i find these things so difficult because it's so reductive to go which which track do you do this and which sorry i i i know you have to do it but uh, of course what your floor filler this week is different from your floor filler last week so my floor filler I'd be playing Barquet's tracks or that that's now. Um, but I, I guess one that I've gone back to over the last year or so is that Walter Murphy track, A Fifth of Beethoven, which is very silly, cheesy kind of track. Um, but it's just got such a, you know, rapacious groove to it. People can't resist it. And it's got some wicked funky keyboards on it, wicked analogue keys. And I've noticed I do 
I do quite like a sort of semi-orchestral, something that's a bit soundtracky. Um, you know, and Beethoven's Fifth is quite... I love Beethoven as well. Everyone loves Beethoven. <laughs> yeah, everyone loves Beethoven. So, what, what, yeah, what could be wrong about that? But it always, it always works. It always funks the place up. Yeah. Um, uh, so, the, the Sunsetter, uh, this was uh, something you picked out yeah, on, I just picked uh, Arp and Anthony Moore, Spinet. Spinet, yeah. Um, I, uh, so there's lots of amazing ambient music we could choose from. I'd, I, sometimes I'd, I'll play a, a completely ambient set and it will be full of all sorts of, you know, amazing, minimal, spacious music that's, that, that perfectly soundtracks the natural phenomena of, 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 a, of a beautiful sunset or a a forest or a, just the natural world um and those recordings those records it could, it could be any any one of those yeah but we picked that one just because it's wonderful it was yeah we listened to it earlier it yeah awesome. it, it could just do it couldn't it yeah. i mean i suppose so penguin cafe orchestra and all of you know steve reich and the 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 the, the, the famous people but i was listening to is it virginia astley recently and and there's there's actually lots of wonderful um uh, new ambient music yeah uh, the wolf muller and the what's yeah. his name mud, mud Weiser and all yeah. of those kind of yeah there's there's uh nicola cruz and the, mm. the, there's wonderful new music to play in those contexts as well as all this huge library and catalogue of, of amazing ambient music so i think i think i'm happy just to pluck one out and go that's a great record I just want to hear something obscure and different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you're not yeah. Going to hear anywhere else. Yeah, you could you could pick one that. Yeah, I can't even remember what I played at at, at La Torre last time for a sundown. I can't remember what the actual might have been a Bob James track or something. Who knows? Okay. Yeah, different every time. Yeah, as a good DJ should do. Um, uh, so the tearjerker. What? Um... Oh, so I think I picked the Blue Nile, didn't yeah. I? Tinseltown in the rain. Tearjerker's not quite the right thing i don't do, records don't quite make me cry not really yeah what what i love about music is when it kind of fires you up it sort of puts heat under your you know it intensifies your your kind of emotional state uh and i think tinseltown in the rain always does that uh i love the lyric i i think Blue Nile do that amazing thing where they are completely unique. No one will ever sound like that and no one will ever structure their song like that and no one will ever have that combination of instruments. And It's just very idiosyncratic, but Tinseltown in the Rain, it seems to have like a kind of um, rising chord progressions that do that thing that sort of is do i love you yes i love you will we always be happy go lucky and it's kind of it's always moving up a a, a scale so it, it 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 does it does what it's meant to do which kind of elevates you throughout the song and you yeah i love yeah. that record it was great you were playing earlier it's great <laughs> yeah it is it, it is a, a spectacularly good record i i i particularly particularly like the lyric content because it's, I suppose it's what I, I aspire to. You can hear that there's an, a person and an emotional life in there, so it's authentic, but it also has this big universality. It's, uh, what does it say, all men and women, here we are, caught up in this big rhythm, and I love that. 
that idea that that's there's a universality in there everyone's connected yeah 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 and blue nile like you said this they're quite idiosyncratic is that an inspiration for you guys as a man called adam i think it's almost your default you 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 can't sort of sound like other people i don't know people used to say things like you know why don't you just make a big banging house record and make yourself a load of money or something and it was like well, we probably would have if we could, you know, if we knew how to do that. We don't. We just make things and they always sound a bit odd and a bit strange and they're just you and that's it and you're stuck with that, really. But I guess the thing that we've learned over all this time, I suppose, is to be confident in that. You don't have to like it. You're idiosyncratic in your own, yeah. in your own skin. Yeah, some, some people like it, some people don't. It, it's fine it's 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 just what you do and you try and do it to the best that that thing doesn't go out the door until you've given it your best shot and you've given it everything to make it as good as good enough good enough and then when it's gone it's out of your hands but that i i, I think the blue nile are like that i mean they've only made like three albums in I think they make one album every twenty years or something. Kind of sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. There's probably I'm not comparing us to the Blue Nile, um, but I am. There is perhaps parallels <laughs> in terms of output. <laughs> okay, and so the crowd are calling for one more. You're DJing. What's your last tune? Ah, what 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 did I say for this one? So. Um, it, Oh no, I remember. Yeah, every every year, the last few years, I've DJed on New Year's Eve at um, Outlaws Yachts Club in Leeds, which is my friend Joe's bar, which is super cool. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about. Basically, I I, I take you up to midnight, and then I play one song after after midnight. So that's the ultimate last record sort of thing because it tips you into a new into a new year and a new feeling. Uh, but I think this year I played Stoned Love by David Bowie and the year before I did my own little re-edit of Slave to the Rhythm. And don't ask me why I picked those tracks. They just, again, it's sort of instinctive. You listen to lots of things and then just go, yeah, that's the one. That's yeah. the one I have yeah. to play. And Slave to the Rhythm, yeah, Grace. Grace, you can't beat Grace. You can't beat Grace. <laughs> and she's a, an amazing inspiration yeah. to me as well. Yeah. I think the last time I saw her, she was on stage doing the nine-minute version of Slave to the rhythm with a hula hoop. Yeah, I mean, I mean, her, she, she's sixty. She, oh, she's she seventy now. 70, I think she's yeah. seventy. Yeah, um, my friend Malcolm plays bass in her band, and so I'd sort of see all these pictures on Instagram and everything. She's just, and they they are incredibly fond of her, which I always makes me think she is the woman she you think she is. I've never met her, but I think she is a, a, a wonderful person as well as a great artist and yeah a unique being force of nature force of nature yeah yeah bang on yeah um so i just will wrap this up with one final question um we always uh the question is what does house culture mean to you i suppose if we talk about house culture because i am part of the house culture I listen to house music all the time. I've just commissioned house remixes. Uh, I've just, me and Steve just made a house remix, a banging house (laughs) remix, you know, house music is part of who we are. But as a culture, I think certainly people who were sort of present at the beginning of Acid House, when when it 
appeared in the late 80s and early 90s. We, we are the old school, but old school is relevant and important now. It, it's a sort of state of being. That, I just saw a moody man just posted a Prince uh, live performance and he's, he's saying, you know, we're the old school. And I and I loved it. And we are. We we're we're kind of the the generation that experienced it firsthand. And then it's existed and it's a great network, it's a great loving network of friendships and we are all united and connected through that and we've all grown up with that. And now there are and it's our responsibility to communicate it and what happened in that time that amazing glorious time to continue to communicate that to the people who come through and the young people who become interested in music and to keep to keep pointing them to the people and the originators and the people you you know this record you love well have you listened to sly and the family stone go and listen to a funkadelic record or do, it it's important for us to to communicate that and so that's what house culture means to me because it's full of love and it's full of open-spirited generosity and tolerance and there's nothing more important to communicate right now than that and that's what house culture is to me <laughs> perfect yeah that is brilliant yeah thank you <laughs> cool sorry, sorry i was in right bloody oh no don't worry that's fine <laughs> House Culture. Now wasn't that just lovely? A big thanks to Sally for finding the time to sit down with us and chat all things Balearic. Make sure you go out and listen to that new A Man Called Adam album, Farmerama, available in all the usual places. It's a fantastic listen that will instantly transport you to the beaches of the White Isle. What can be better than that? And once you've given that a listen, make sure you queue up the Prince Thomas remix of the album closer, Paul Valerie at the Disco. That's that special Record Store Day release that conjured so much emotion amongst the band when they first heard it. And wasn't it amazing to hear that there is potentially a director's cut of the short film about chilling documentary locked away in a Channel 4 vault somewhere? Wouldn't that be fascinating to see now? If you haven't ever seen that short film that we're talking about, just search short film about chilling on YouTube and prepare to get yourself immersed in an Ibiza that was only just emerging as a destination for house music hedonism. As always, you can find the tracks that we discussed on House Culture's Perfect playlist on Spotify. So make sure you search for that and follow it to keep yourself up to date of all the choices from our podcast guests. And I couldn't resist, so I've added in a couple of the A Man Called Adam tracks that we discussed. These being Amoeba, that's the one with the cut up No Happy Faces lyric that Sally mentioned. And of course, their unbeatable Balearic classic, Barefoot in the Head. Again, that's House Culture, perfect playlist on Spotify. And when you're there, make sure you follow the podcast as well so that you never miss out on future House Culture podcast releases. And once you're done there, please love, like, tweet, share, tell your friends, leave us a review. You could always get you a shout out on a future episode. Much like Ali McKenzie here, who got in touch to tell us how inspirational he found our Brandon Block interview. Thanks very much, Ali. I'm sure Mr. Block is also very happy to hear that. And if you listeners haven't heard that Brandon Block episode, what are you waiting for? It's available in our back catalogue right now. And why don't you come and follow us and get your daily fix of house culture by hitting up our Instagram feed at housecultureNet or by following the hashtag TrueHouseCulture. 
finally, you can reach out to me, Matt Rouse, directly on Instagram at DJ Matt Rouse. Thanks for listening. See you next time. House Culture. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.